Welcome to episode 42 of Pub Crawl, a publishing podcast about reading, writing, books, and occasionally booze. I'm your host, S.J. Jones, called J.J. I'm an author and erstwhile editor. And I'm your co-host, Kelly Van Sant. I am a contracts manager and a freelance editor. We are both contributors with the Publishing Crawl blog, and together we have over 15 years of industry experience. So today is our second ever query critique episode. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys all for submitting. Um, it's you. There were quite actually kind of a lot more this time um, than we did last time. So we tried to narrow them down to be indicative of different types of issues um, that we commonly see crop up in queries. Um, so hopefully that will help you out. But. Um, I think without further ado, let's just get right into it. Sure. Okay, so, query number one. In a world where your name means everything, a boy receives the name of an ancient evil. All his life, Sai has struggled to fit in to a village that keeps him at arm's length. Constantly bullied and met with suspicion, his only real solace is at at home, I think, with his adoptive parents. He is certain that he will be accepted once he receives his true name, but when his name turns out to be that of a centuries-old warlord still rumored to return, he is driven out of the only home he has ever known. With the help of those he meets along the way, Sai makes a new life and name for himself in the army and quickly garners the attention of the king. But when the king is murdered by someone possibly connected to his own past, Sai himself Sorry, Sai finds himself in the midst of a battle for the kingdom and his soul, and he must decide if he will face his name or run. Mm-hmm. So, f- first of all, this is a little short. Yes. I think in our previous episodes about queries, we've said that kind of the sweet spot for queries is like 250 to 400 words. Mm-hmm. And this one is only 167. Yeah. And the only reason I point it out is because it's extremely vague. We don't have a lot of necessary information to know what this world is. You know, we have the, you know, this whole, I guess it's a, it's a world where names are important, but what is the importance of the name? And then this main character, who apparently gets the name of this ancient evil warlord rumored to return. Who, who is this warlord? Why is this important? What is the significance of a name? Is it like a reincarnation thing? Is it like a prophecy? Um, and so we kind of get this sort of a generic narrative with absolutely no specifics as to, you know, why he doesn't fit into this village. Why does this village keep him at arm's length? Um, who does he meet along the way to joining the king's army? How does he come to the attention of the king? So there's kind of all these questions that need to be answered here for us to invest in this character. And, you know, when you're only at 167 words, that's kind of almost not enough room to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're introducing a lot of things here, but all of them are just questions for us. You know, we don't have any real details to latch on to. 
Yeah, specifics are important in writing in general, but they're also extremely important in a query because specifics are a quick way to get the reader to invest and know what the story is. And, you know, you, you don't want to spend too much time explaining everything. So the more detailed, the more succinct you can get, that's great. But you don't want to sacrifice specificity for brevity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Do we have anything else to say on this first one? No, I think that's, you know, pretty much it. Definitely you have a lot of room to add more words in and give us as many specifics as you can. And also, I mean, it's not important um, because we did remove all the identifying information, but there's no bio. So, Mm. you know, maybe the person who's reading it would like to maybe know a little bit about the writer Mm -hmm. and why they chose to write it. Right. And we did want to say, too, though, your opening line is really pretty good. Um, In a world where your name means everything, a boy receives the name of an ancient evil. That's a good hook. Mm -hmm. It's just that you need to back that up then with everything that comes on later. You need to fill it with with details. So, Mm -hmm. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Okay. Dear Agent, In the wake of the Great Calamity, the world of Etheria stood divided. Three distinct realms, one forever shadowed, one drenched in light, and one caught in the gray in between, battled with magic and blades for supremacy. A fragile truce now exists. To preserve it, two emissaries from Comor, Sandrine, and Heathstrom are chosen to partake in an epic quest, the Trials of the Innermost, composed of three tasks that embody the culture of each realm. Tensions flare when the truth seekers convene in Waverling, capital of the Middle Realm and the starting point of their journey, as Komor presents a seemingly disingenuous offer of peace. The six young men and women then brave a wall of storms to reach Sandrine, site of their first trial, while the representatives from the Land of Light clash over their betrothal. Idrilia never asked her family to choose a partner for her, even if it is her best childhood friend. Her discontent boils over in her homeland, where she launches an unprovoked attack on the Comorese delegates and faces the prospect of being stripped of magic. In the midst of these events lurks an ancient threat called the Penumbra, a hostile force from an alternate universe that has already inhabited one of the group. Zinvar, priest of Kamor, senses the darkness in his warrior companion, who is using the trials to find weakness in the other realms, weaknesses that Kamor will use to its advantage when it invades. Guided by visions of ships that navigate the stars and a woman with gray eyes, Zinvar begins to piece together the awful truth. The Penumbra will destroy all life on Etheria if it succeeds in opening a door to its home. Only united can the seekers hope to stop it. Title is the first novel in Author 1 and Author 2's series title, a fantasy and science fiction adventure series written for young adults and adults. It is complete at 97,000 words. Readers who enjoy R.A. Salvatore's The Legend of Drizzt series and Peter F. Hamilton's Void Trilogy will feel right at home in Etheria. Author 1 has a B.A. in English, and Author 2 has a B.S. in Psychology. This is our first novel. Thank you for your consideration. So this one has a little bit of the opposite problem as the Mm -hmm. first one we discussed. There is, in fact, a lot of detail here. 
uh, I would venture to say maybe a little too much. <laughs> yes. Um, the first thing I want to point out is it's important to have context for your story in your query. Mm-hmm. But we don't need the entire backstory to anything. We want yeah. to get to the story as quickly as possible. And the story usually starts with your protagonist or protagonists, if you have more than one, mm-hmm. as I think this book does. But to be honest, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it is 138 words, six sentences, and two and a half paragraphs before we get the mention of anybody by name. Yeah, and that person we get named first, Idrilia, I don't know how her story necessarily connects to the other named character we have in the third paragraph, Zinvar, the priest of Komor. Mm-hmm. My sense is, is that this is a story about a group of people coming together for, uh, I guess, uh, a competition, I guess, sort of like the Amazing Race. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, so they come together for a competition. And I'm assuming they have partners. Um and whoever, I don't even know if you win. It, I have a lot of questions, a lot of details, but no real answers to anything. Um, so I right. guess it's about a bunch of people who come together to partake in a trial, except, and I guess it's a competition, except there's a greater danger, a, a danger greater than whatever divisions divide these groups of people that they need to band together to defeat. I think that's the basic gist of the story, but it took me several times to read this, several times reading this query to kind of parse that. Uh-huh. And you really don't have enough time when you're querying an agent for that. Uh-uh. An agent yeah. isn't going to give as much time and consideration to queries as Kelly and I did. They're just going to see this and they're going to see this is a word salad of a lot of word names and places that I don't know anything about and don't have any context for, therefore I don't care, and there I'm going to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, it's a science, it's a fantasy and science fiction adventure. Yeah, I don't see anything science fiction in here at all. And it's a series written for young adults and adults. No. You have to pick one. You mm-hmm. cannot have both. Mm-hmm. Um, books that are considered crossover into the YA and adult markets are published either YA or adult. They find crossover in the audience, but the actual mm-hmm. publishing of said books are either children's or adult. This is actually a big divide in publishing. Yeah, we've talked about this before in other podcasts about how this is essentially a marketing question. How are we going to market the book? And you can't market it both ways. Lots of books do have tons of crossover. So you might think that this book has crossover appeal, but you need to pick a specific audience, either young adult or adult. My gut feeling is that this is an adult fantasy title. I would think so too. Mostly because YA has category conventions and a particular, not tropes necessarily, but you in adult you are you have a little bit more room to get more specific about world building details 
um, that you don't necessarily have the time for in YA. YA tends to be much more focused on the emotional journey of the character, so the scope is a little bit more narrow. If you think about The Hunger Games, for example, this is a big story about a rebellion and an uprising, and a, and, but it's really Katniss's story. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a story filtered through the lens of one person, so it feels very intimate. The way this query is written seems a little bit more removed and kind of a broader overview, mm-hmm. which is something you get away with more in adult fiction than you do in children's publishing. So that's my gut instinct. But it's it's a, it's just too much, essentially. Yeah. You really want to focus in on the characters, talk about what those characters are doing, how their stories intersect, all of the all of the things about the different realms and how they're divided and what their cultures are in this, you know, trial, all of that stuff is essentially backstory or, or details that we'll get if we request the manuscript and start reading the actual novel. But for the query, you really want to focus on the highlights and you're wasting so much space and time with these complicated ideas that, you know, as JJ said, we can't, don't have proper context for that. We can't devote our time to parse them out. Um, so it's really, you know, unfortunately a missed opportunity because I feel like if I were an agent and this landed in my inbox, I don't know that I would have the stamina to get all the way through this query without stopping. Mm -hmm. I think probably somewhere around the second paragraph, I would say, okay, this isn't for me and close it because I haven't been given a story at that point. You're right. Okay, so I think if that's all I have, so why don't we move on to the third one? Okay. This one we picked because it's telling and not showing us. So here's query number three. Mjorin and his friends love to make mischief. So naturally, when the Council of Elders begins to make alarming new rules, Mjorin and his friends eavesdrop on a council meeting to find out why. Minutes into the meeting, they realize that they are deeply entangled in the elders' plots, and they find themselves fleeing for their lives. They escape into an unknown world. At last, they find asylum in a place they believe the elders are not powerful enough to reach. And they discover why the elders are chasing them down so desperately. Far away, Kyra awakens one night to find her village in flames. She joins a few other survivors to track down whoever destroyed their homes. However, the truth is not only unexpected, it is strong enough to shake the foundations of Nurin's and Kira's lives. Title is a middle-grade fantasy novel about 56,000 words that focuses on discovery and leadership. At first, Nurin struggles with cowardice, but he learns how to but he learns how to lead even if all that means is stepping forward first. Kira must face the brutal fact that she cannot always protect everyone she loves. Fans of Sage Blackwood's Jinx will love this funny and heartbreaking story. I'm just a book I'm just a book lover, but I've been dabbling in writing since I was 11. I am not on any sort of social media, blogs, or websites, so if you choose to Google me, I know many agents search potential clients, it is unlikely you will get many good results. Sorry, but social media and I are not compatible. Would you like to read the rest of title? Please be aware that I have queried a handful of other agents. Thank you for your time. So this one is too vague, Mm -hmm. and it tells us a lot of things without 
showing any of them. Yeah. I always tend to... You, I mean, if if a query has to tell you these are the these are the takeaways that I want you to have from my book, then the query itself is failing to do its job. And the job of a query is to get the agent interested enough to want to keep reading. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of potential here. I mean, Yorin and his friends loving to make mischief. But then you kind of like so there's a council of elders and they begin to make alarming new rules. But, okay, so what rules? How do they affect Nurin and his friends? What consequences, you know, does this have? And, you know, so when they eavesdrop on the council meeting, they realize they are deeply entangled in the elders' plots. But how? I mean, what happens that are they found out? How are they found out? You know, and then they escape. You know, they they think that they found an asylum where the elders can't reach them. So it's it's a lot of telling us and not showing us what the actual turning points of this book really are. You're just telling us this is what's happening in the book. And then, of course, the last paragraph is about Kira, who I suppose is the second protagonist. But we don't get her until the very end. And all we know is that her village has been destroyed by flames. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that really intersects with Neuron's story. I don't know what the, the truth is and why we should necessarily care. We don't have yeah. emotional stakes, really. And why does it matter to Kira to find out who burned down her house or her mm-hmm. village? Yeah. And then we have, too, kind of in this final paragraph about the book, where the author is essentially telling us the emotional arcs of each character. Nioran struggles with cowardice but learns how to lead, even if that means stepping forward first. Kira must face the brutal fact that she cannot always protect everyone she loves. You know, those are that's the emotional arc of your character, but you don't want to just lay it out there like a thesis statement for us. You know, if, if Nioran struggles with cowardice, then that should be evident to us by reading your query. Um, you know, do you that's kind of this telling but not showing thing in a nutshell. Right. So if you take those two sentences, Neuron struggling with cowardice and learning how to lead, how does he do that? What does he do that shows us that? And then put that in your query. And then you talk about Kira facing that she can't always protect everyone she loves. So then you think, how does she face that? What does she do to overcome that? Then you put that in the query as well. That's what mm-hmm. we mean by telling and not showing. Because you've basically just kind of given us a plot rundown of what happens. And that doesn't get any, that doesn't engage a potential agent. It just gives Mm -hmm. us, this happens. But that doesn't tell us what the story is. Yeah. Then there were a few things about the sort of bio section of this query as well. um, Where the author talks about not being on social media. And it is completely fine for writers to not be on social media, honestly. I know that we've talked in the past before, and you'll read a lot of things online and elsewhere about how a social media presence is important. And I think that social media presence can be a valuable tool. It has to be something that you use, you know, honestly, that you engage with, that is enjoyable for you, because if it's not, then everyone will be able to tell. Um, So I think social media is a great tool for writers, but by no means do you need to have social media in order to publish a book. You absolutely 100% do not have to. But if you don't, don't mention it. I mean, if you want to mention your website or your blog, then 
go ahead, this is a great place to do it in your query. But if you're not on social media, then it's not relevant. You know, if an agent Googles you and doesn't get any hits, then they Google you and don't get any hits. You know, you don't need to insert that information in the query itself. And and if they were interested in you, they would contact you directly anyway. So yeah, I mean, we do preliminary, preliminary Googling on people, but that's just because in today's age, we can do that. Mm-hmm. But if not, then that's fine. I mean, books have been published long before social media was ever a thing. So you, you don't need it. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. there's still, there are authors out there who don't really have an online presence at all and their books still do remarkably well. Mm-hmm. Social media is a great way to engage with other writers, but it doesn't actually sell books. So you don't need to use it if you don't feel comfortable. The other thing is that the very last part of your query, it says, please be aware that I have queried a handful of other agents. That's to be expected. Honestly, mm-hmm. so you don't need to mention that either. I, I think a, an agent would expect you to query multiple people at once, um, and it's and also it, nowadays most agents don't offer exclusives. Mm-hmm. You know, so if an agent says, you know, I would like an exclusive submission, to be honest, like I wouldn't take it. You know, if your query and your book is already out with multiple agents, then they can't ask for an exclusive anyway. So, you know, so that's really expected now. So you don't need to mention that. So I I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I think there's a bones of a really great middle grade fantasy here, but we need to know the context and the cause and effect. The -hmm. cause and effect is really what makes a story. So we just have a list of plot happenings, but no cause and effect. So Mm -hmm. that's what we really need. And that's what we mean by showing and not telling. All right. So the next one. Okay. Dear Mentor, Maeve Lily Morgan and her little brother get dragged halfway across the country to live with her grandmother and finds out her so-called heroic ancestor might be a murderer. With the help of Juan, whom she reluctantly befriends over a spit swear, May starts volunteering at the museum to discover the truth her family hid from her. Together, they break into the museum and accidentally unearth a letter written to May from 150 years ago. That letter leads them on a journey to find out who her family really was, what the danger lurking in her yard is, and why it is hunting her family. When May has to leave her old life and start a new one in rural Kansas, she thinks she's going to hold up their proud family traditions— Then she finds their reputation may not be what she was told. Juan is confident May's family heritage is hiding a deeper secret, including stashed gold and extortion, but he needs May's help to find it. When they discover a prophetic letter that reveals what Juan thought was gold is actually a journal full of clues, their whole journey transforms. Instead of trying to discover if May's ancestral grandfather is an extortionist and murderer, they have to figure out how to avoid an evil fae he negotiated with for luxury and prestige, preferably before it enslaves or kills them all. This young adult novel, title, has a contemporary setting with a fantastical backworld. It is quirky, fun, with a touch of darkness, and is complete at 75,000 words. Thank you for your consideration. I look forward to hearing from you. So, there are a couple of things going on with this one, both on a structural level of the structure of the query itself and then the content of the query. Um, 
let's start with some of the content stuff. So the first thing that threw me for a loop is when we get to the very end of the query and all of a sudden it's fantasy, mm. which the whole beginning of the query, the whole first two paragraphs seems to be, you know, like essentially a contemporary mystery. She is, you know, in Kansas. She finds out that her family has some deep secret. She befriends this guy and they start researching the truth of her family and trying to find out what it's, you know, what it's really all about. And, and I was like, okay, this is, you know, the story. And I, I was very secure in that, understanding and then we all of a sudden get to this last line and there's evil fae and Mm -hmm. (laughs) it just comes out of nowhere and then it's described you know as a contemporary setting with a fantastical backworld which is also not a phrase that I understand I'm not sure what that means yeah it's I mean you can say that it you know it there's a couple ways you can approach kind of a contemporary setting with magical elements. You can say it exactly like that. It is mm-hmm. a contemporary with magical elements. You can, depending on how much magic is in it, you can probably say it is uh, urban fantasy or, you know, kind of contemporary fantasy. Um, probably the best way to describe it, though, is a contemporary novel with magical elements. Mm-hmm. It's not really magical realism because there's an evil fae apparently. So, mm-hmm. um, and ma- and magical realism much is much more ambiguous about its supernatural or magical elements. Um, about the structure of this one, there, it, essentially, we get told the story twice. Yeah. So we get in the first paragraph that Maeve Lily, Maeve Lily Morgan and her little brother get dragged halfway country, halfway across the country to live with their grandmother. And then the next paragraph, it says she has to leave her old life and start a new one in rural Kansas, which we already know. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, the first paragraph kind of focuses on May and, you know, she says, you know, it says that she starts volunteering at a museum to discover the truth her family hid from her. What truth? How does she know they're even hiding anything from her? How does she know that the museum is the place to find it? You know? And so then this, you think this is the story, that they unearth a letter and they go on this journey to find out the truth. And the second paragraph, instead of telling us what that truth is and what the consequences are of what that journey is, then we just kind of go back and get told the same thing over again, but now from a different point of view. Right. From Juan's point of view. Which kind of leaves me a little bit on the structural side. So, like, whose story is it? Is it Juan? Is it him needing something from the school? I don't think so. I think this is May's story. But we spend so much real estate on Juan, who's essentially just a complication to May's story. Mm Mm-hmm. But we get all this motivation from him. He needs this from her. He, you know, all this. But, but why? We don't know why he needs all this information from her. So structurally, it's a little bit of a mess. I don't know where the story is going. I don't know. Because, like I said, we kind of get this set up twice. Yeah, that's it. We get the, it's almost the exact same plot points are reiterated from paragraph one to paragraph two. And... You know, there's little things dropped in here, um, like the danger lurking in her yard. Uh, what is that? Is that the fae? Is it magical in nature? You know, what, what, why is it dangerous? Um, how 
you know, is she attacked by it at some point? What, you know, we just have this mysterious danger lurking in the yard that's a bit vague. And everything with the history and the grandfather, too, is, you know, we we need to know more about that. How does May find out that her heroic ancestor might be a murderer you know who gives her that information how does she find out how does she react does she believe it does she not believe it you know is she going on this truth-seeking quest willingly or not you know you have to bring the magic in much earlier i think because it is really jarring just coming in at the end there so basically um i think you want to I don't know if you want to keep the first paragraph or the second paragraph, depending, but essentially you want to keep one of those and then add in another paragraph telling us what happens next, what the remainder of the story is. Yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely interesting. I mean, I love historical mysteries with a slight fantasy element. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like Revolution by Jennifer Donnelly is one of my favorite books. So I, you know, it's, it's definitely something that is appealing. I just need to know in a clear manner with the story elements laid out in a logical progression why I should care and why I should want to pick up this book. Mm-hmm. All right. So shall we move on? Yes. Dear Agent Name, title is a YA fantasy retelling of Hades and Persephone steeped in Indian and Welsh mythos. 18-year-old Lavana would be dead if the chosen ruler knew of her existence, for she is the last living heir to a conquered fey kingdom. She has been cloistered away by her fiancé, who wants to keep her hidden from sight and safe. Her fiancé calls it protection. She calls it a pretty gilded prison. On the autumn equinox, Prince Consort Kieran of the Fey steals her away from her fiancé and makes a bargain with her. She will work for him in his city of dreams, hone her magic, and help him overthrow both the fey queen that he services and the chosen ruler who ruined her life. But Kieran and his beloved realm have their own secrets, a seamy forest where thoughts manifest into reality, garbled languages and dream creatures, corpse roads, and ley lines. As she navigates the fey world, she will become a weapon to save her kingdom, but only if she can harness her firebending, heal her fractured soul, and learn what game Kieran is playing with her. Title is The Raven Boys Meets the Star-Touched Queen and is an own voice manuscript complete at 110,000 words. I'm an 18-year-old Indian-American writer from Texas who will be majoring in neuroscience at school this fall. Thank you for your consideration. So... There are a couple of things I want to talk about in this query. The first thing is that I know Kelly and I talked about this previously in uh, the expansion pod, in the expansion podcast mm-hmm. about what we called capital letter world building. Mm-hmm. You know, where the government is the government with a capital G, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. So here we do actually have an example of capital letter world building in which there is a chosen ruler. And there is the Fae and a city of dreams. These are all extremely vague. That's the thing about capital letter world building is that vagueness contributes to a sense of thinness in world building. It doesn't seem immersive or unique, I guess. That's the other thing. Capital letter world building is 
because it's so vague, it comes across as generic and as something we've read before already. The other part of this is we, again, as with some of the other other queries that we covered on this podcast before, we get a lot of things told to us about what happens, but not necessarily its consequences, the consequences of these plot happenings and why we should necessarily care. So we have a protagonist who is the heir to a conquered kingdom, but she would be dead if the chosen ruler knew she was alive. Why? What is her importance to this person? You know, what was her kingdom? You know, there's all this sort of stuff that you don't actually need to tell us specifically. We just need a very quick summation of why this is important. The other thing is, and I want to touch a little bit again about the capital letter world building part of it. Because of that, it seems derivative of a lot of different best-selling YA properties out there. And I know that, you know, every story has been told. So what makes a book unique is your personal stamp and what you do, your voice that comes out. I mean, I myself have written a labyrinth-inspired book, right? But what makes it mine is, you know, my own voice, what I like, you know, the things that make things, the things that interest me. So that's great and all, like, but the the vagueness of this world building sounds a lot like a Court of Mist and Fury. It, it comes across sounding a lot like A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Moss. Um, because the plot of that book is actually our protagonist gets stolen away to the night court by a kind of a rival fae prince. She gets stolen on the day of her wedding to somebody else and she has to work with him. To It's, it's a very similar story. And as I said before, it's not that you can't tell a similar story, but without specifics... We don't know what makes this different. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to touch on here is that you mentioned that this is an own voice manuscript. That's great. And, you know, there's a huge discussion about diversity and writers from marginalized backgrounds telling their own stories and trying to, and, and getting published and bringing attention to those books that get looked over in favor of, you know, more commercial properties. And so you mentioned that this is an own voice, I guess, I'm assuming that it's because you said it's steeped in Indian mythology, but I don't see any evidence of that in this query at all. I don't see anything about Indian stories or names or places. This all seems very kind of like Western European fantasy to me. You know, the names of the characters is Lavana and Kieran, and which is fine again, but if there is an element of own voices storytelling in here, I would like to see it in the query. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with everything that you said. Um, I think those are all great points. I think too, what do you think about just in general, and it is present in this query, but what do you think about mentioning age in the bio section of your query? Cause this writer says that, um, they are 18 years old. And in general, I think, I, I don't think putting age in, I don't think it helps you in any way. And unfortunately, I think it can harm you. Mm. I don't think it's important to mention your age at all. I mean, there are young writers, obviously. There are people who have written and published very young. Mm -hmm. And while their age is kind of a novelty factor when their book gets published, it doesn't 
ultimately it doesn't mean anything, so we don't need to know how old you are. And the reason it can also detract from it can harm you a little bit is because when you mention your age and you seem young and and coupled with this query that seems very vague and also very derivative of current best-selling properties on the YA market now, it kind of one, makes the agent, or at least it would make me wonder whether or not the writer has had time to develop their own voice yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people write with extreme confidence and tell their own story. You know, at a very, very young age, Cody Keplinger wrote The Duff when she was, I think, 17, 16 or 17, and published it when she was 18. But that story is also, like, it was very clearly... You know, it's a high school-based story, and it was something she knew very, very well. And, um, you know, and hers had a very clear different premise or an, a unique premise that stood out from all the kind of other contemporary novels that were around at the time. But if, I mean, I, and I speak from personal experience. I also started writing when I was very, very young. And a lot of the stuff I wrote in my teen years and into my early 20s was derivative or it was fan fiction, you know, thinly veiled fan fiction. I have confessed that I wrote a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took me a long time to develop the skills I needed to find my own story and tell it. And fan fiction was great for that in many reasons. Fan fiction was a wonderful way for me to learn how to tell a unique story and not have to worry about characterization, right? Because I already knew yeah. these characters. I knew how they were going to react. I So it was then just taking these characters and putting them in a different setting and then working on the story that way. And so for me, fan fiction was a way to practice. And a lot of the stuff I wrote that was original in, in high school was basically thinly veiled Jane Austen fan fiction. It was thinly veiled Tolkien fan fiction. I wrote what was essentially Sailor Moon, but with like the name slightly changed. <laughs> You know, so like, and that was just because I hadn't developed my own voice yet. Mm-hmm. And that just took time. I mean, I'm 31 now. My book will come out when I'm 31. And it's not like I haven't written in the entire time leading up to my first book's publication. But mm-hmm. it took me this long to find a story that was worth telling and selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, you know, uh, I recognize that writing queries is a unique skill that is different from the skill of writing a book. And so there's a lot of people that stumble on the query writing process itself because it just requires thinking about things in a different way than when you're writing a novel. Um, You know, so there are certainly ways that you could improve this query for this specific book. Um, as we mentioned, you know, making it clear if there is Indian mythos in it, you know, being more specific about your world building. I mean, it's fine. Also, if there isn't any Indian mythology in it, it's fine as well. But it wouldn't be an own voices manuscript. Mm -hmm. You know, I myself am a writer of color, but I don't call Winter Song an own voices book because... It, it doesn't have my particular, or at least part of my particular ethnic background in it. So, you know, I don't call it an own voices manuscript, but I am a writer of color. So, you know, you can mm-hmm. mention that, too. You can say you are a writer of color, but if, if your book doesn't actually share an element mm-hmm. of your background, then it's not an own voices book. So, all right. Shall we move on to the last one, then? 
All right. Dear Agent, 12-year-old Emma Montgomery lives for afternoons spent watching her Aunt Alice make fix-it-all hot chocolate for the residents of Frog Hollow. She yearns for the secrets of her aunt's magical recipe, but when Alice dies and bequeaths Emma the family book of magic, all Emma wants is her aunt back. Emma experiments with the Montgomery book of mostly useful magic, and even the smallest spells cause big trouble. Her first attempt at magic ends in a flying brooch destroying the living room. Another attempt ends with a cloud of crows calling secrets after her wherever she goes. In a last, desperate attempt to get magic right, Emma does her best to keep the town restaurateur from cooking the last of the frog hollow frogs in a stew. She conjures tornadoes of worms and waterproof pots. When this too fails, Emma decides she's too useless for her own book of magic. In a stroke of good fortune, Glenda Gray, a mysterious newcomer to Frog's Hollow, offers to bring Aunt Alice back to life in return for the book. It's a solution to all of Emma's problems. While Emma waits for Glenda to gather the ingredients necessary to bring Alice back, rumors of Emma's book spread. Frog Hollow fills with strangers looking to steal the book before Emma and Glenda's deal can be completed. In the ensuing chaos, Emma must prove that she might not be so useless after all. Title is a standalone middle-grade fantasy novel, complete at 60,000 words. It is a story of both magic and community in the vein of the graveyard book and Chocolat. I have a BA in creative writing from school and an MA in writing for young people from school. Although I was born and raised in New Orleans, a city with its own history of magic and mayhem, I currently reside in the English countryside, where I'm working on my next novel. Thank you for your time and consideration. So this is a pretty decent query. Mm-hmm. I think there are some things, some suggestions that we have. Um, one being that the bulk of the second paragraph, while cute is not necessary. All of the stuff about her spells gone wrong um, is not really adding anything to our understanding of Emma or the story. I think you can keep the first line in where she experiments with the book and every even the smallest spell causes trouble. Um, and then, you know, she eventually decides she's too useless for her own book of magic. It's in the, the subsequent paragraph, the third one, in this query that I think I would almost want a little bit more information in lieu of all the details about the spells going wrong. I want to know, you know, is it really good fortune that Glenda Gray is there? Is she really going to be helping Emma or are, is she our villain? Cause I kind of get the sense that she might be the villain who does not actually have Emma's Yes, or Best. you know something like an ulterior motive that Emma is right. not aware of that may be at cross purposes with her. Um, I mean, this is incredibly charming. I would absolutely mm-hmm. read this book, even though the I would absolutely ask for more, even though there's yes. some structural flaws to this query. The charm of the voice comes through very loud and clear. Like even though that second paragraph is unnecessary, there's a lot of. You know, there's a there's specificity here that really brings mm-hmm. the voice through, and it reads like a middle grade. It, you know, because sometimes it's hard to tell, but and the middle middle grade has a very specific voice, and and that comes through in the query. 
But we don't really have the story. Again, we have that sort of recitation of events that happen in, in the book. But the story kind of really begins when Glenda Gray shows up. Mm-hmm. And that's... You know, that's the thing that changes pretty much everything. And so what with the arrival of Glenda Gray, things start to go wrong. You know, the rumors of the books are spreading. Strangers are coming to town to try and get the book. And so that kind of raises questions. Why? What's so important about this book? Why does Emma need to protect it? Um, why, why does Glenda want it? Does, yeah, does Glenda want it? Why is she? Why is she helping Emma at all? Does she have a previous relationship to her aunt Alice, or what's going on? Um, and <laughs> this is a pretty small thing in kind of lieu of everything else. But we're talking about necromancy, right? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Which is kind of a huge thing. Do they succeed in bringing Aunt Alice back to life? You know, and if that's the case, is it zombie Aunt Alice that's, like, wandering around this town? I mean, I really am curious. So, like... (laughs) (laughs) My assumption was that it was a bad idea to bring Aunt Alice back and that that is going to be revealed as Glenda having kind of ulterior motives. Um, but who knows? But that's the thing. We don't know. Yeah. And so we would really like to know. I agree with JJ that this is utterly charming. Um, it seems very readable, really, really appropriate for the age group. Um, I think it's great. In fact, the only thing that seemed at odds with it being a middle grade is one of your comps, which was Chocolat, the movie. Um, it's a book which, as well. Is it a book as well? It mm-hmm. is a book. By it Joanne is, Harris. And it, I get it for, it's got that like small town, quirky, charming feel to it, but I think that's very much an adult story. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's not necessarily the best comp here. I would, I would look for another middle grade that has kind of that small town, eccentric, quirky, charming feel to it, but is more in line with your genre. Yeah. So, you know, definitely take some time to expand again, as we mentioned before, the cause and effect of what happens in the second paragraph and maybe trim out the kind of all the details in the second one. Um, you know, there is, it. your charm comes through regardless of the details. Mm-hmm. The voice comes through anyway. So, like I said, this is something that I would have requested, even though it, you know, it's kind of confusing and I don't really know mm-hmm. what the story is exactly, but I would want to know more anyway. So, and that's really what all you can ask for in your queries to catch an agent's attention and have them request more. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely, definitely work on that and um, send it out. I can't wait to see what happens with this one. Yeah. That is our last query for the day. We want to reiterate, thank you guys so much for sending them in. Um, It means so much to us that you are participating in this and that you trust us with these queries. I know that when we have these query critique episodes, we dish out a lot of tough love. And I know that um, that might be hard to hear, but we mean it all constructively. We selected each of these queries because we see a kernel of something great in each of them. And we think that 
you really can rework these to be better and we want you to be better. And so that's the spirit in which we offer this criticism. Uh, and I hope that you find it helpful. And I hope that other people who maybe submitted queries but didn't get them read today find it helpful and can find things that we talked about today that they can apply to their own work. Yeah, and, and as Kelly said before, writing a query and writing a novel do require two different skills. And I understand that it's hard when you are a novelist and you write long, like me, that condensing <laughs> things is, is, is hard. Um, so, But a query is basically telling your story in miniature. And so you pick the moment to start and then you, you sort of dish out in specific details what the causes are and what the effects are and why we should care. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, and so when you look back and you identify those aspects of your manuscript, then you have kind of a logical progression of the story in two to three paragraphs. Mm-hmm. And that, again, we don't need to know the resolution. We don't need to know the ending. We don't need to know everything about your book. We just need enough of a sense of a story and why we want to read it. Mm-hmm. All right. So, I mean, we can go on to our next segments and talk about what we're working on and what we're reading. No, if we have anything. I, I think those answers are pretty much the same as they always are. Uh, as they have been recently. Mine certainly have not changed uh, whatsoever. Well, I have, have one for you. I have been writing. That's true, what I've been working on. I have been writing. JJ, I've talked before about how JJ gives me some real serious, tough love. <laughs> and um, I think last week on the podcast, she was you know, publicly shaming me because I had not been writing, and I deserved that public shame. And then I went, and then I wrote some stuff, and I sent it to JJ. And I was like, oh, it's trash. Oh, it's trash. You know, well, whatever. Um, and JJ <laughs> wrote back to me, and she was like, it is trash, but it's not trash in the way that you think it's trash. She's like, <laughs> this is not a book. She's like, I don't know what your problem is, but you're stalling. You're not telling a story. This is not anything. This is, this is, I mean, and she, it was very hard to read, um, but she, she, <laughs> but, but um, I know JJ and I love her and I know that she loves me. And so I'm able to absorb it. Um, and I did go outside and take a walk around the block to kind of compose myself. Um, but she really was right. And she was kind of advising me, you, you were kind of advising me to like, you know, maybe write some fan fiction or maybe do maybe work on something else that isn't emotionally fraught for you because I've been working on this project for a long time and I have this really deep and difficult emotional relationship with it. And so you were saying, you know, maybe it's just not the time for you to write this. Maybe you need to do something else. So I took an hour and I wrote some little fluffy fan fiction stuff for myself, which was about Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> and I, I got like halfway into rewriting one of the episodes that bothered me. Um, and that was fun and that was relaxing. And then I kind of said to myself, okay, I have this time today. I had blocked off four hours for the day to write. And so I said, I am going to give myself these four hours and I'm just going to completely drop my ego and I'm going to stop doing that. Like, oh, it's so bad. And oh, it's so hard. And oh, you know, whatever. And I'm just going to try to just drop everything and just write it. (laughs) And if I can't do it in those four hours, then I'll step away and I'll take a break and I'll do something else. And so I worked really hard for those four hours and I 
I cheated a little because JJ essentially gave me like a writing prompt where she was like, here's like your first little snippet, you know, take that. And I essentially took that and kind of reworked it slightly. Um, so I, I was kind of working off a writing prompt, uh, which was a little bit cheating, but I, I did sit down and write it and, and it is, it's not like quote unquote good. The voice still isn't a hundred percent there. It's still, um, you know, there's, there's still problems with it, but I'm actually telling a story now, I think. Yes, um, you are. I've read the the new words and it's, yeah. it's gotten momentum and mm-hmm. characters I've, and they're going through yeah. and they're, so. And I've written yeah. past the point where I've always written in other drafts. You know, I'd always kind of hit this one point in previous drafts and then stopped. And so I've gone beyond that point now. So I think that was also a big mental hurdle for me mm-hmm. was that I had never written past this one point And now I've gone beyond that. So I feel good. I'm continuing to work on it. Um, I've got my writer studio set up. So I go there several times a week and write. And it's feeling pretty good. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I mean oh. that those first pages that I got from Kelly that I was basically like, <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you're stalling. And and I meant that in that because Kelly and I talked about this project before she started mm-hmm. writing this, right? So we were talking on G chat, we talked about characterization of her protagonist, you know, for a while she was like, I don't really know much about her. And so we kind of talked to that and I asked questions and you know, I floated these scenarios and I, you know, we talk about this makes sense for her. This doesn't make sense for her. And this is what we think that the situ- her family life is like and all that sort of stuff. So she has, she had all this and I said, okay, and we talked about it. And then based on that discussion that we had, Kelly had come to the realization, oh, the story actually starts here and not this other place that I thought it started at. And so I was like, good, good. You know, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. And the first couple of paragraphs <laughs> I got would not it wasn't even that like it it just <laughs> it was a mess it was real bad guys <laughs> you know one of the queries we said that we had a lot of information but not any sense of the story yet and that was essentially mm-hmm. what i'd had from kelly was just like a bunch of details about her life but not how those details yeah. came together to create a portrait of a character and a character with something to do so that's why i was like i think you're stalling <laughs> You you had everything. You did. You had her yeah. characterization. You had where the story began. You knew what was going to happen in the story. Mm-hmm. You had those beats, and yet you were still focusing on small details. Yeah, it really was a big mental thing for me, and I and I really do think that your final you know, letter that you sent where you're just like, what is going on with you? Cause that's essentially what you said. You were like, <laughs> what is, what is going on with you? Because I'm not even going to talk about this because this is terrible. <laughs> but what is, what is wrong with you, my friend in your mind? Um, and I think that it, that really was like a mental block. And it's something that I think that I'll continue to struggle with as I get back into this habit of writing again, um, frequently, but it, it really was so mental. And I just, I would tell myself I was ready and I had all the pieces to do it. And then I would just sit down and it's like, I would panic. I would just completely panic. And I would type for the sake of typing to have something put on the page, but I couldn't connect with it. I wasn't engaging with it. It was just like, Oh, I need to put something on the page. So here's some words that I know that I'm typing right now. So it it was definitely a mental and emotional block for me that I I think I've broken through. And I I think I'm going to have to, I I don't think that I can be 
I don't think I can consider that solved. Like I think I'm going to actively have to continue to be aware of that if I want to keep moving forward. Um, but it feels good. Yay. That's really the point though, <laughs> is that you, you want writing to be enjoyable, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to sit there and just freeze and panic about it. And that's the thing about writer's block. Um, you know, there are different schools of thought about what writer's block is. You know, it's laziness. I don't want to. I don't want to work on it. Or I don't. You know, or if you have writer's block because you don't know what happens next, then something has gone wrong earlier in the story, so you have to backtrack and fix that. Like, there's all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people don't actually talk about like mental and emotional blocks when it comes to mm-hmm. writing. And I've I've been candid on this podcast before that the previous year I really struggled with my bipolar disorder and I was struggling creatively in ways that I hadn't before, you know, so going back on medication has really helped me with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that's kind of like a, like a biochemical thing, but you know, a lot of people have mental and emotional blocks when it comes to writing for various reasons. And whatever they are, you know, identifying, no, this is an emotional thing, this comes from a place of fear, I think also helps you kind of face that and then identify what it is you fear. And my suggestion to Kelly was, like, maybe if you want to, you know, write something that doesn't scare you, because clearly this scares you. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe write something that doesn't scare you, right? You know, you know you can write. You're like, this is garbage, Mm. this is garbage, this is garbage, but I know you can write, and you know you can write. So then why not write something... That uh-huh. has no emotional stakes for you, but is fun and, you know, that you can get the joy of writing again. And those uh-huh. exercises that I come up with was like, just like, write fan fiction. Fan fiction is a really <laughs> great way to, like, it is get it into is. writing and the joy of writing again. Because, you know, you're playing with characters that you already know and a world that you already know. And, you know, their relationships are already established. So, like, you have that. Or if not fan fiction, then what I also do, I said, sometimes nothing motivates me more than bad writing, mm-hmm. like someone else's bad writing, you know, basically where I look at a piece of work and I see there's a lot of potential in it. And then I'm like, but I can do better than this. So then I rewrite it, which is what Kelly did with that episode mm-hmm. that she didn't really like all that much. She was like, well, I like it, but I can do better. <laughs> I can fix I those problems. Um, so yeah, I mean, if those are emotional blocks or reasons that you guys can't write, you know, so then you kind of identify, is it because I'm lazy? If it's not because I'm lazy, is it because I don't know what happens because something in my, some earlier part in the manuscript has broken me, has broken the flow of the story, and you have to go and fix that? Or is it an emotional, mental thing? And if it is emotional and mental thing, then give yourself permission to not, to just work on something fun. I think giving yourself permission to not work on it is kind of a slippery slope because you, you know, if you give yourself permission, you're like, oh, well, I'm not feeling it mentally or emotionally, so I'm just going to go watch TV all day, then that just kind of leads to inertia of where you never get back on the wagon. wagon. But if you say, okay, I am afraid of my manuscript, but I want to write, so then you write something else that has no stakes for you, then you, you remember the joy and the act of it, and then you can maybe slowly start to transfer that back to what you're working on that does scare you. So that is my writing advice uh-huh. as for what I'm working on. I'm clearly still working on book two and not sleeping, <laughs> trying to get out like at least 2,000 words a day. Sometimes I hit it. Sometimes I don't. Last night I, I didn't because I crashed really hard because I'm so busy. Um, but buckling down, don't have time for anything else. 
aside mm-hmm. from podcasting because I love this, you guys. So I make time for podcasts, but that's that's me. I don't know. Have you, aside from writing, any off many recommendations? No, I have nothing new going on for me. Mm-mm. What about you? Nope, nothing at all. <laughs> well, let's read one of our reviews. Yay! So, uh, so this segment we're just going to call What You're Saying. Uh, so, this one is by Not Jada. Future Pubbed Writers, this is the podcast for you. I've been following Pub Crawl for a couple of years now on their blog, and I was ecstatic to hear they were going to start a podcast. The best part about Pub Crawl is their energy paired with their knowledge. I'm personally interested in becoming a published author, so the first few episodes were very helpful for me to get insight on the industry. Can't wait to see what other topics they talk about. So thank you, not Jada. We do mm-hmm. appreciate the, the feedback, and we know you guys do like this kind of peek behind the curtain of publishing. So we will try and, and talk about that more and definitely let us know what specific things interest you. So then we can tailor future conversations on the podcast mm-hmm. about it. So yeah, go ahead, leave us a review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want mm-hmm. us to change, what you want us to cover. Yep. So yeah. we're both on Twitter all the time. Reach out, let us know what you want to hear us talk about. Because we're always we're always searching for new topics. <laughs> yep, that's all for this week. Next week we'll be starting a new series on author career, starting with what an author career actually is and how that differs from your writing. So, as always, if you want more, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Pickle, or your podcast provider of choice. Also, if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance, as it does help other listeners find the podcast. If you want more pub crawl goodness, you can go to our website, publishingcrawl.com, where we have many more posts and articles about various aspects of reading, writing, and the publishing industry. You can also follow us on Twitter at pubcrawlblog, as well as on Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at publishingcrawl. You can follow me, JJ, at SJJones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter or my website, sjjones.com. And you can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram or my website at penandparsley.com. Our theme music is Quirky Dog by Kevin McLeod, and our logo is designed by Aaron Bowman, author of Vengeance Road, available now wherever books are sold. If you have any further questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to email us at publishingcrawl at gmail.com or send us an ask through Tumblr. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.